Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew preaches this sermon entitled, Thinking God's Thoughts. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Haggai chapter 1. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you help us to consider, to think carefully, to reason, to analyze, to interpret reality around us, our reality in the light of your holy scriptures, that we may draw certain conclusions that we may take action, remedial action, that will bring about divine blessings upon us and upon our family. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And I presume that you have read the two chapters of Haggai, and if you haven't, then don't worry. You can go home and read it. Thinking God's thoughts. Thinking God's thoughts is the only way of blessing. And so we are told in, in these two chapters five times to exercise our mind. Now that is a difficult request or command, especially people who live in modern times, when we elevate subjectivity and emotion to the level of uh, authority. The journalists ask, how do you feel about it? Not what is the truth of the matter, how do you feel about it? God is asking us instead to think and think carefully, reason, analyze, interpret your reality in the light of God's revelation, in the light of the covenant structure. So you see this phrase appearing in chapter 1 verse 5 and then verse 7 and chapter 2 verse 15. And two times in chapter 2, verse 18, think carefully. Now, if you are sleeping, you cannot think. Now, I forgive you if you are sleeping because you were working hard last night at the hospital or someplace. That's all right. This is a good place to come and sleep, isn't it? At least you are in the house of God. So don't worry about that. To think God's thoughts is repentance. It is to abandon our own thoughts and our own ways. To think God's thoughts, one must turn to the scriptures. There we find the Lord of the covenant who instructs his people how to live. Obey his stipulations you will be blessed. Disobey his will for our life and you will be cursed. 
That is the structure of covenant. So it is the will of God that we therefore think his thoughts and be blessed always. Yet Israel refused to keep God's covenant, refused to think God's thoughts, and we learned that they were exiled finally to Babylon. But the amazing thing is, it was not the end of God's mercy to Israel. Through Cyrus, a remnant was allowed to return to Jerusalem through divine initiative. And they came, we learn, in 538 B.C. They built the altar and offered sacrifices. And later they laid the foundation of the temple. And it is always true that whenever his people turn to the Lord in obedience, the enemies will oppose such renewal of covenant. So we find that there arose severe opposition. Ezra chapter 4, 1 through 5 will tell you that. So what did the people do? In 536 BC, the remnant people of God gave up rebuilding the temple altogether. And so they were waiting for a time when no opposition will there be in order for them to rebuild. And so the story is the temple was lying in ruins for 16 years. Until God raised up his prophets Haggai and Zechariah in 520 BC in the second year of Darius. Darius the Great, Darius Histaspes, the Persian king. It is amazing to know, though we abandon God, though we backslide, God does not abandon us. Let's praise God for that. As he came seeking Adam after his disobedience, he came seeking the disobedient remnant of the Jewish nation. In the same way, he is coming to us today who wander from his ways and from his thoughts. He comes to seek and save that which is lost. So, are you wandering this morning? Our Lord, true to his covenant, is here seeking you in his grace. So, in the second year of Darius, that is 520 BC, God sent a prophet by name Haggai. With a word to rouse his people from their self-centered existence. And Haggai comes on the scene exactly on August 29th, 520 BC. I want to tell you a few things, a number of things. One is the charge leveled against God's people. Second, the curse 
God pronounced upon God's people. The third is the conversion of his people. And the fourth, of course, is the covenant blessings restored. The charm. The prophet Haggai speaks in the name of the Lord Sabaoth. Luther in his hymn used that expression. The Lord Sabaoth, Yahweh Sabaoth. And he uses that title 14 times in this short prophecy. It is a deliberate use. The prophecy is saying that our God is not small. We tend to magnify our little problems. And we engage in reductionism of our great God. Somebody wrote a book, your God is too small. And when you have a small God, you will be afraid, timid, weak, retreating, defeated. The prophet corrects this error by continually speaking in the name of the Lord Sabaoth. Take a look at it. Chapter 1 verse 2. This is what the Lord Sabaoth says. Verse 5, this is what the Lord Sabaoth says. Verse 7, this is what the Lord Sabaoth says. And so on. The Lord of hosts. The Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, means that our God is the captain of the armies of heaven and earth. That is, he has vast power. Supernatural power to overcome all opposition against him and against his people. He is the warrior who always conquers Pharaoh and his army. Remember, he appeared to Joshua in Joshua chapter 5 as the commander of the army of the Lord. Israel's wars are holy wars. And if the Lord Sabaoth goes with us, there is victory. Joshua found that out when Israel sinned in the case of Achan. She was defeated. But when Israel keeps the covenant, think God's thoughts, go in God's ways... The Lord of hosts fights for them. One of his angels killed 185,000 soldiers of Sennacherib in the days of Hezekiah and prophet Isaiah. He has angelic armies. Jacob found that out in Genesis chapter 32, 1 and 2. Two camps of angels protecting him the servant of Elisha realized that those who are with us are more than those who are with them with us is the Lord of hosts the Lord Sabaoth heaven 
Heavenly armies are with us. With us are the horses and chariots of fire. In the storm, in the boat, the disciples were afraid. They thought they would drown along with Jesus Christ. They did not understand. The Lord Sabaoth was with them. He calmed the storm. And the disciples were amazed. They came to realize that Jesus Christ can command the wind and the waves. What sort of a man is this? Is the Lord Sabaoth? And Luther is right. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And as leaders, we need to know this. As God's remnant people, we need to know this. Zerubbabel and Joshua needed to know this. The remnant Jews needed to know this. He is able to defeat all opposition. To fulfill his eternal purposes in history. It is his purpose to rebuild the temple. To reestablish sacrifices. That people come and worship the Lord who dwells in their midst in the temple. That their sins be forgiven. That God may dwell with them. That he may provide and protect and guide his people. No nation or nations can frustrate this plan of God. It was the sheer unbelief of his people that stopped this building project, which was God's own plan. And we are told in this book, if you go home and read it, this Lord Sabaoth shakes all nations. Shakes heaven and earth. He overturns royal thrones and shatters the power of foreign kingdoms. He overthrows chariots and their drivers. He destroys all his enemies as in the days of Pharaoh and Midian. He shakes the nations. He overturns Babylon. He puts down Medo-Persian Empire. He puts down Greece. He utterly defeats Rome. He sets up human kings and he puts them down. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Think God's thoughts. Think God's ways. Think God's covenant. Think God's plan for your life. Think correctly. The infinite power of the Lord Sabaoth unleash for your salvation don't reduce our God have a great God in your mind and your problems will assume its proper proportion and we shall not be afraid O ye of little faith for 16 years they gave up the rebuilding of the temple because, because they were afraid. Because they didn't think God's thoughts, God's plan for them. They did not believe in the power of the Lord's Sabaoth.
Now the Lord of hosts rebukes his people for their neglect of duty. They said, it is not time to rebuild the temple. Why did they say that? There is still opposition. There are still nations. They don't like when we build God's house. They were looking for a utopia where there is no opposition. No, sir. Think about the Lord Sabaoth. And then start building. Doing God's purposes. They expected the opposition to go away. But the truth is, learn this today. Truth is, when we do God's work, there will always be opposition. The devil, like a roaring lion, will come, if possible, to deceive even the very elect and swallow them up. But they cannot swallow them up. Because the Lord Sabaoth is with us. And God of Jacob is our refuge. That was their excuse. The time is not yet. It was a lie. It was the time. It was time since 538 BC when the Lord brought them near to Jerusalem. It was for this very purpose that God stirred up the heart of Cyrus and stirred up the heart of his people and sent them to Jerusalem for this purpose. God exposed their evil heart through the word that prophet Haggai brought. And even today, God will expose the evil of our heart by his word. Let me read to you the book of Hebrews chapter 4. How the word of God will expose our thoughts and intents. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So take a look at chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you, yourselves, to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? It was not time to build God's house, but it was time to build not a cucumber shed, but paneled house with certain comfort and luxury. It is not time to build God's house, but look at verse 9. Because of my house which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house, we have time, money, talents, everything for ourselves. But God's house is neglected. 
God exposes their lie through the word of the prophet. You have inverted priorities. You are like the Gentiles, you run after these things. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus confronted St. Peter on the shores of Galilee and asked the question, do you love me more than these? Apparently fish. And he asked three times the probing question. You run after your own things. You do not seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. Haggai is saying. You do not love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. So you do not think God's thoughts. And do his will. He is saying you are lazy. You are self-centered. You are lazy in spiritual matters. But busy in building luxurious houses and busy in making money by farming. They had time and money for everything else but for God. They said to God, Manana. God can wait. They were in pursuit of happiness in the wrong way and they ended up in misery. So the second, the curse, consider your ways. When God's people fail to keep God's covenant stipulations, the Lord of the covenant is displeased. And the people experience not his blessing, but his curse. See, they should have known this because the former prophet said so. They should have read Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Moses said so. So let us turn to Amos chapter 4. And let's see what God is speaking through Amos when people break covenant. Well, the curse comes into place. Amos chapter 4 verse 6. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you. Verse 8, people staggered from town to town for water. Verse 9, many times I struck your gardens and vineyards. I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees. Yet you have not returned to me. Verse 10, I sent plagues among you, as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, yet you have not returned to me. Verse 11, I overthrew some of you, as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, yet you have not returned to me. Turn with me to the book of Micah. Micah chapter 6, 13. Through 15. Therefore I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. You will eat but not be satisfied. 
See, that idea is in chapter 1 of Haggai, because Haggai probably is making reference to this statement. You will eat but not be satisfied. Your stomach will still be empty. You will store up but save nothing. Because what you save, I will give it to the sword. You will plant but not harvest. You will press olives but not use the oil on yourselves. You will crush grapes but not drink the wine. And so on. And so now, let's turn to Haggai chapter 1 and verse 6. Here it is, the same idea. You were busy with yourselves. You said it is not time to build God's house. It is not yet time to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so it says, verse 6, You have planted much but have harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your bill. You put on clothes but not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it probably referring to inflation look at verse 9 through 11 let me read you expected much but see it turned out to be little what you brought home notice it's not the devil devil didn't do anything there are times devil does a lot of things against the church but this was not devil it says right here what does it say I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. It's not good to mess with the Lord Sabaoth. He's in total control and he has total power. Turn to chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat and to draw 50 measures of wine, there were only 20. Now notice verse 17. I struck, don't blame the devil. I struck the work of your hands with blight. Mildew, that's a disease. And hail. Yet what? You did not turn. This is the language of Amos, the former prophet, to me, declares the Lord. I blew it. I called for drought. I struck God being almighty and all sovereign is able to bring about economic troubles, health troubles. And he brings about complete lack of satisfaction and happiness when we become self-focused and neglect the kingdom of God. And he brings about defeat uh, before the enemies. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 30, Therefore, for this reason, because of sin, covenant breaking, many of you are weak and sick, and many have fallen asleep. That doesn't mean every suffering is this type. Turn with me to the book of Psalms, uh, 100 
106. 106 and verse 15. So he gave them what they asked for. They asked for material things. He gave them material things. But sent leanness, King James Version, here, wasting diseases upon them. In chapter 2, verse 10 through 14, he tells us their real problem. The prophet asked the question to the priests, is holiness contagious? What's the answer? No. Is uncleanness contagious? What's the answer? Yes. And then he says, you are all unclean. And so he did not accept their worship. You're all unclean. And so God brought this curse upon them. But through chastisement, God is calling us to think God's thoughts. To interpret your personal reality in the light of God's word and God's covenant. Through chastisement, God is seeking us to repent. And I learned there are two ways God can bring about repentance. One by heaping all kinds of goodness upon your life. Goodness and mercy. Romans 2 verse 4. And if, he, if that doesn't work, what, what does he do? <laughs> Look at chapter 2 verse 17 of Haggai. I struck all the work of your hands, yet you did not turn to me. The purpose of chastisement is our repentance that we may come to become sober and think God's thoughts after God's word. But here there was total success for Haggai. So there is conversion. It's amazing that most prophets were not responded this way, but the people did respond in repentance. And look at Haggai chapter 1 verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought, go up to the mountains, bring the timber, build the house so that I may take pleasure and be honored. And verse 12, then Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel and Joshua son of Jehoshaphat the high priest and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai. It's amazing. Conversion. They did give careful thought. They interpret their reality in the light of the word of God. In the light of God's plan. In the light of covenant structure. In the light of God's word. You are in trouble because you violated my covenant. So prophet said, therefore remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first work. Go and build my house that I may dwell in the midst of you and rule you, provide for you, protect you, forgive your sins, guide you. We cannot live by ourselves. We want God to dwell in the midst of us. Go and build a house that I may be pleased, that I may be honored. What is the chief end of man? 
to glorify God, to honor God and enjoy him forever. That is still the chief end. That I may be honored, that I may dwell in the midst of you, that I may bless you. The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. See, God is dwelling in the midst of the people. And the Lord may lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Build the house. This is the one imperative in this prophecy. Desire God and his presence in your midst. Desire his direction, his protection, his provision. Desire his worship, desire his salvation. And they thought carefully. They repented, they obeyed the voice of the Lord. They responded to the word of the Lord. They acknowledged their sins. Now we ask the question, how did they repent? How did they get the motivation to repent? Did they get it on their own? No, God was working. He worked by his word through the prophet. And he worked by his spirit within them. Look at verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, spirit of Joshua, spirit of the remnant people of God. There is the word and there is the spirit. Spirit working within you, motivating you, causing you to repent. Repentance is a gift of God. So also faith. Look at, uh, turn with me to the book of Philippians. This idea is there, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's our obedience, that's our response, that's our work. But then the secret for it is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. The word and the spirit. And it is true even now. See, you are hearing the word through me. And the spirit of God is working within your heart. Making you able to repent. To think God's thoughts. Change your ways. And obey God. And so we read the leaders and the remnant moved by God, obeyed the Lord, feared the Lord. They finally, after 16 years, resumed the building of God's house on September 21st, 520 BC. Of course there was opposition. They wrote to Darius the Great. You know what he did? He said, you make sure you provide every help they need to build this house. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord Sabaoth runs the empires of the world. And they built the house in March 516 BC. Number four, the covenant blessing. Let me tell you something. It's good news for you. I believe the word is going in and the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. But let me tell you something good. The moment we repent, God sends his spiritual and temporal blessings upon us. The moment. And I don't have time to tell you all about it. But he says, he tells them on December 18, 520, 
BC. He tells them, mark this date. That's the date that spoke about their repentance. Mark this date. But you have to understand what that date is all about. Two months before, in October 17, there was the first rain. And so they planted the field. And plowed and all that. Of course, uh, there is no guarantee that this year we are going to get anything better than what we got last year. Now look at the trees. Of course, there is no fruit on the trees. It's winter. And he guarantees from this day forward, mark it, you'll be blessed. And what caused this? It is their repentance. So I'm going to tell you, the moment you repent and turn, that moment, God's blessing will come and rest upon you. Let me tell you, he is so eager to bless us that he takes the initiative to turn us to God from our wicked ways. He in kindness sends prophets, God's messengers. His spirit moves us to hear the word, to repent and to believe. And let me tell you, he is eager to bless you today, not tomorrow, today. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Even now, the Holy Spirit is moving you internally, in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind, in your will, in your affections, to repent truly and obey God with holy reverence. The Lord of hosts is with us. He is working among us, us in the days of Haggai and Zechariah to fulfill his saving purposes in your life. How long will you live under his curse? How long will you run after happiness and find only ongoing misery? How can we be happy when God is not pleased with us? God is not honored. God's house is not built. God is not dwelling in the midst of us. He desires us to be truly happy. Let me tell you, happiness is conversion. Happiness is knowing God. Happiness is in serving God. Happiness is repentance. Happiness is total obedience to God. That's what happiness is. And I want to tell you seven things in terms of his blessings, his covenant blessings. First, we don't have much time. First, verse 13 of chapter 1 and chapter 2, verse 4, this profound statement I am with you. Who is this I am? The Lord Sabaoth of infinite power and total control of heaven and earth. I am with you. This means what? He was not with them in this way before. This promise is the greatest reason for comfort and happiness. If God is for us, who can be against us? He is the Lord of hosts. He always leads us in triumph. He is with us as our God, as our shepherd, as our physician, as our savior, as our warrior captain. The God is with us. And so our enemies shall be defeated. If God is with us, the Red Sea shall be dried up. Mara shall be made sweet. Rock shall provide us water. Heaven shall give us manna. Amalekites shall be defeated. The rebels among 
His own people shall be destroyed. The Jordan shall part. The Jericho wall shall crumble. If the Lord is with us, we shall lack nothing. If the Lord is with us, we shall enjoy everlasting happiness. So Jesus said, I'll be with you. Always, even unto the end of the ages. That's why Luther said, the Lord of Sabaoth is with us. And he will never leave us, nor forsake us. He did not forsake them, even when they wandered. He did not forsake them when the Israel was exiled. He brought them back. He was with them always. So our God is with us. I am with you. Let's praise the Lord. Number two. His covenant is in force still. Look at chapter 2 verse 5. They violated the terms of it. They wandered. He chastised. Yet he is still our covenant Lord. We are his people. Though we broke his heart and his covenant, he never breaks covenant. He is a covenant keeping God. He is his compassion never fail, but they are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Number three, look at chapter 2 verse 5. His spirit abides with us. As the spirit was with the Israelites, God's Holy Spirit is with us and in us. At times he is grieved, but he shall never leave us. He abides with us to make us holy. And to Zechariah he said, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, and that spirit is with us. Number four, because of these realities, we are told in chapter 2, verse 4, three times, three times, Be strong, be strong, be strong, because I am with you. It is time that we took our eyes off of our little problems and begin to see this Lord of Sabaoth and then draw strength and comfort and encouragement. Hallelujah! Be strong leaders! Be strong people of God! What you fear shall not happen. I am with you. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, St. Paul tells us. God is aware that you are weak and God is aware that you have enemies. But no matter. God is with us. His spirit is with us. And he keeps his covenant. Number five. Look at chapter two verse five. It says do not fear. Be strong. Do not fear. Why? God is with us. Number six. We have a great future. Now let's praise the Lord for that. (laughs) We have a great future. Look at chapter 2 verse 9. The glory of this little house that you are building. It looks as though it is nothing in your eyes. And the people who were between 75 and 80, some of them were there. They were weeping. They were unhappy. Don't associate with old people. (laughs) They're always looking back. That's why I associate with young people. (laughs) They are looking forward. It's a great future. Why? The Lord Sabaoth is with us. Hallelujah. 
the glory of this present house will surpass the glory of the former house. Not that it will have more gold, but this new insignificant house you are building will be filled with God's presence. The Messiah will come to it. The word became flesh and what dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. I don't have time to tell you, but Simeon saw glory in the temple as he took that son. Now let me die. I have seen the salvation of the Lord, the light for the Gentiles and the glory of his people. Hallelujah. And in Matthew chapter 12 verse 6 says, here is one Jesus said, who is greater than the temple. Our future is bright. Number 7. Chapter 2 verse 9. In this place I will grant peace. This means what? They didn't have peace. They lived in fear. They lived in anxiety, in unhappiness, in insecurity. Now with God's presence in the house there is shalom. Hallelujah. The, the ironic benediction is going to come to you. The Lord bless you and keep you and grant you peace. There is prosperity and well-being. There is peace with God. There is peace of God that transcends all reasoning. There is peace that environment cannot destroy. Peace that the Messiah gives. Peace that is secured by sacrifices. But it's sacrifices which point to the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That will be offered up in Jerusalem. Our peace is accomplished by his death. I will grant peace in this place. Peace is a gift from our Lord Jesus Christ. In this place I will grant peace. Has he granted peace to you? Have you received his gift of peace? St. Paul tells us having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Shall we rise and let me ask you some questions first have you thought carefully what is happening to you have you interpreted your reality from God's point of view have you seen your situation from the point of view of God's word and God's covenant and have you drawn some conclusion God wants us to think number two about inverted priorities the way to happiness is not seeking these things first. Things like food, clothing, housing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Number three. Self-seeking person who neglect God is cursed wherever he goes. Cursed, 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 cursed. Number four, God knows how to turn his people around. He chastises us. He touches our economic life, health life, family life, business life, psychological life, marriage life, children's life. He knows. Number five, without God dwelling in the midst, there is no forgiveness through sacrifice, no blessing, no guidance, no protection. Number six, Blessing comes to us the moment we repent. Now is the accepted time. Now, 
not tomorrow. Number seven, obedience is blessing and true happiness. Satan will tell you differently. Number eight, though we backslide, God does not abandon us. He brings us back to him by the use of his gracious rod. Number nine, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. This spirit of God abides with us and in us. Number ten, the mountain of opposition shall be leveled by the spirit of the living God. This mountain shall be removed. Speaking about the empires, empires of the time. Be strong, fear not. Build the house of God. Number 11. Respect and respond to God's messengers who declare to you the word of God. Number 12. God especially blesses his leaders for God's work. They are given special encouragement in this prophecy. Number 13. Consider, 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 think, 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 study the scriptures humbly. To enjoy God's blessings always. Number 14. Our future is bright. It is more glorious. Because God is going to shake all things. To manifest his unshakable kingdom of God. At his second coming. A kingdom into which we have been given admittance. Number 15. Are you building God's house? Which is his church. Christ is the master builder. He said I will build my church. And we are his assistants. We are to build with living stones. Of people made alive by the spirit. What about your children? Are they being built into this church? Are they living stones? Are you assisting. In building them into the church. Think about these things. Consider. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you help us to think your thoughts because it is the only way of covenant blessings. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio of this sermon entitled Thinking God's Thoughts. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.